Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, for raising from the grave and appearing to those first disciples over time to encourage and enrich them. You're doing the same this morning. May we hear your word. May we see you. May we see you appear in front of us today and to encourage us as we also, like the disciples, are asking these questions in life of what are we supposed to do. We praise you, Lord, for your word and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So in preparing for this sermon and not growing up in an established church background, I know you know this about me, but I didn't grow up in the church. I was a, a, a rascal, a, a, a heathen, or just a kid, you know. We went to church sometimes, usually when it was Easter or Christmas, and the neighbor, we had some really religious neighbors. Uh, they were the Ned Flanders of our neighborhood, Simpsons. And they would ask us twice a year, and we would go sometimes, even then. And uh, so I thought Easter was just one time a year. But I learned that Easter is seven weeks. Right? Who else did not know that? In the, East, in the church calendar, it's seven weeks long. Breezy, you're, you're a pastor's daughter. You should be like, you should be like one-on-one on this. It's for seven weeks. So for seven weeks, the church celebrates Easter. So naturally, I was thinking everything we did last Sunday, we do again. So that awesome meal that Nelson and Sylvia made, we get to eat that again after church today, right? Right, right Sylvia? <laughs> I might be gaining about 10 pounds if I do that. Uh, Maurice Eric Hunts, maybe? <laughs> no. It's not about an event. It's not just about doing things one time a year, right, to keep us busy. But the church wants us to celebrate Easter, not just one Sunday, but not just seven Sundays, but every day. Because every day is a new beginning because Christ has risen. Hallelujah. Just going to do that. You know, the disciples in that time were in a time of turmoil. They wanted to know exactly what is their life about. You see, for the disciples, it wasn't a time of celebration when Jesus died. Even though some had found the grave open, they still didn't believe that a man had risen from the dead. They believed whatever we would believe. Someone took it. This is a mistake. Uh, some people believe that Jesus was kind of just knocked out and he kind of woke up and with all the beatings and the huge gash in the side, he kind of had the strength to just roll out of bed and pull the stone away. Some people believe that. Some religions believe that. And so they weren't really excited about this time of, of life. Basically, this moment made them ask the question, what do we do now? This life-changing moment where their life was turned upside down made them ask the question of what do we do now? Or for the sake of the bumper, now what are we supposed to do? They followed Jesus and that's all they had. They gave everything. 
They gave everything. And that everything died. You see, big life changes can make us be anxious, nervous, afraid, pushed to make some pretty desperate decisions, or just simply pressured to perform. When big life tragedies and changes happen, most of us don't respond with excitement, right? We respond with, oh, crap. Now, what am I supposed to do? How do I walk into this? What does it mean to be when everything I know has been turned upside down? When our Lord and Savior has been killed? Easter is about that. And for the first Christians, they learned how to operate in a new beginning. So, I don't know why I thought about this until I was just kind of following the Holy Spirit uh, on this. But when I thought about what disciples might be feeling, I thought about my 12-year-old self when I was uh, playing Little League Baseball. So when I was 12 years old, I was actually pretty good at hitting the baseball. I didn't, I didn't really know. I would just get up there and whack it. And it would... And it was to the point where every time I got up on the mound, you know, the opposing coach would just yell, back up, back up. And I got pretty prideful. I would, you know, get up there, you know, and I was about, I was pudgy and big pudgy cheek kid about this tall and kind of like, you know, that's right, you better back up because I'm about to hit that thing. You know, and they'd back up. And I, you know, the sound of the bat, and I'd, Waddled around the bases, you know. I was chunky. And that was kind of what it was like. I was really good at it. And then the next year happened. I was 12, I was 12 years old. I was 11 I did that. So I was 12 years old this, the next year. And I remember I got picked by a coach. And the coach told me, I remember this to this day. He said, you were really good in baseball. You're really good at hitting the ball. So I, I was excited to put, get you on my team. Because I know that you can hit those balls for me. You can be a good baseball player for me. And for some reason, it was so weird. The pressure that now I was expected to do something, that I was supposed to be a good hitter, made me a bad hitter. That whole year, I struggled hitting the ball. There were some backups in the beginning of the year. Okay, here's the kid from last year. Back up. And straight. I was out. Happened game after game to the point where I was really like, I didn't know what to do. I was too young to understand, like, the pressure of things. I was just like, what happened? Did, this, did, did, did the mojo leave? Um, but my parents were there every year, and I got a couple of hits. But I just think that a lot of times when what you do in freedom or what you're told to do is not expected and, and you don't have the guidance to do it, the pressure of that can take us away from being who we're called to be. And so in a much more extreme sense, in a grown, in a grown adult sense, to these disciples, these first Christians, 
in a sense of life and death, they were feeling that too. I mean, they, they got it, right? Jesus did miracles. He told them, as I do, so you should, right? He walked with them through so many things, and they struck out a lot. But he was there, and he continued to encourage them. But now that he was dead, that was it. They were alone. So in those 40 days, while there was a sense of everything was turned upside down, Jesus did a lot of work, actually. So he did raise from the grave, but he appeared a lot. So he appeared to Mary. And when she was broken, broken down because everything that she had was torn from her, she just stared at the, at the tomb, weeping. He appeared to disciples a number of times. But before he appeared to disciples, he appeared to people on a road. And as they were depressed, walking to, to Emmaus, he taught them and encouraged them that I was alive. And when he taught them on the road, their eyes began to open and he walked with them. They invited him back to, his, to their house and they broke bread. And he, he revealed to them that he was the Messiah. And as that night concluded, they said, in Luke 24, 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. You see, the disciples, the unnamed ones on that road, one of them was Cleopas, one of the disciples on the road. And then later, they found Jesus when they were utterly afraid. When everything that they thought about was turned upside down. And in that moment, when they sought Christ, that's when he appeared every time. So after he met those disciples on the road, they were excited. Their hearts were burning. So they went and met the other 11 disciples, minus Thomas, and they told them, hey, we saw Jesus. And they were, they were like, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I don't know. And they were afraid, and they were behind closed doors. But then in that moment, Jesus appeared to them again in Luke 24, 38 through 40. And he said, why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. And he encouraged them. Why were they afraid? They were followers of a sect of the leader that was killed. And they were all pretty identifiable. There was nowhere really to go. They were marked people. And they hid behind locked doors. Yet Jesus, because they sought him, he walks in and he says, peace, peace be with you. 
when they were saying to themselves, now what are we supposed to do? He said, peace be with you. I mean, just, hear, just saying that now, it feels peaceful, right? I mean, the, the kids even stopped, stopped yelling. <laughs> Did you hear that? Peace be with you. So a week later, after he appeared to the nine disciples, or t- the ten, plus the ones on the road together hanging out, Thomas was with them. So Jesus had to talk to him too. <laughs> and so it, it's accounted in John Chapter 20, verse 24 to 29, it says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, the twin, was not the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he could but he he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my finger in them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger and put and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God. Jesus, I mean, Thomas explained, exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who be- believe without seeing me. So blessed are us because <laughs> we believe and we don't see. Always we have the opportunity to. And so in that moment, Thomas, who doubted, Jesus met him. He didn't condemn him. He didn't say, oh, you're not a true Christian. He met him in his doubt. Because if you doubt, and your doubts aren't because you're resisting God, but because you actually want to hear God, you want to see God, then God will appear to you. And in that moment with Thomas, he said, peace be with you. No doors were going to hide, him, hide or hold Tom, uh, to Jesus back. He met him. Peace be with you. So in this season of life, Jesus appeared to 500 or more people. It's accounted in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. As, Tom, as Paul is, is explaining how Jesus appeared to so many people. And then he eloquently said, and me, as a kind of a child untimely born. It's kind of like an orphan he appeared to me. That's what he said. So Jesus was very busy here, appearing. And I like to believe that he appeared to every single follower who had their life torn, upside, torn apart, flipped upside down. He, he walked in to wherever they were, and he gave them peace. So this morning, as you're here at church, and stuff is going on, things are going on in your life. Where is he walking in on you. Which are you in this story of the many disciples, the unnamed ones, and the ones that we know? Are you Mary? So full of sorrow, paralyzed by her 
Lord and Savior dying, that she just, she just can't leave looking at the grave. She's weeping. Are you that? Are you just so paralyzed by things that you just can't move? Are you the disciples on the road, depressed and sad, explaining that Jesus had died? Are you the hiding 11 disciples, the core, hiding from something because you don't know what to do next? Are you Thomas, trapped in so many logical explanations of how things can't go the way that they can go because it doesn't jive with science or it doesn't jive with your logic or someone hasn't dug up some kind of bone that proved this. So there's no way that a man could raise from the grave. Are you asking so many questions that don't really, really answer the question of your heart? Wherever you are, is it a career change? Are you trying to perhaps retire, but you can't because your job needs you or money needs you? Life is calling and you got to pay them bills. Are you struggling as a parent? The kids are just wrecking you. Are you struggling because you want to be a parent? Are you struggling because the life that you thought you would be walking into in a new job or a new love life isn't the way that you thought it would be? And so you're anxious, you're reevaluating things, you're frustrated. And Jesus walks in and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. You see, in these times, I think there's another invitation from the world. Whenever we are struggling with life-changing things that make us not feel so great and we need answers, I think the other thing that we're tempted to is to go to stuff or to escape. We go to a book that we like. Maybe some kind of uh, stimulation, that bottle of whiskey in the, in, the corner, <laughs> in the closet. Maybe those favorite Netflix or HBO shows. It's like, I don't know, but these kind of distract me from things, so I'll, I'll look at this. Or maybe your favorite sports team, you know. Astros are starting again. The Titans are starting again. So, oh, the Texans are starting again. Go into things to escape. Maybe it's little things like house cleaning, you know, cooking, whatever it is. That when tensions arise, when things happen and it's frustrating, Jesus is waiting in that moment to appear. But instead, the devil is also there. He's like, no, just, just go to this, man. This is going to make you feel better. And they're not bad things most of the time, but they don't answer the question of now what are we supposed to do? Only Jesus can answer that question. He's waiting. You see, fear, skepticism, sadness, anxiety, depression, all comes down to pride. 
if we choose to stay in those states, we miss out on knowing that Jesus has risen. Little typo there. You see, whatever we are tempted to go to, they're not necessarily bad things, but those things keep us from being like the 500 and then the several thousand. And we get the answer that we really need. We get the comfort we really need. When we humble ourselves and turn to Jesus in our struggles, we see him alive. We see him everywhere. And we see him anytime. Anytime. And that's exactly what the disciples that saw him, he, they saw him right on time. So when Jesus met the disciples in their pain and their fear and in their struggle, he said, peace be with you. He wanted to comfort them. I have an answer. What are we supposed to do now? Here's what we're supposed to do. Let me comfort you. But he also said, make disciples. So over 40 days, he said, it's all right. It's okay. Don't go to this. Come to me. And then he said, you got something to do. We're going to do it together. He gave them the great commission. And so close to the end of his 40-year appearing on earth, the disciples walked up to the Mount of Olives in, in, uh, in Galilee, and he gave them this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples, us, to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that age wasn't just when they died, that's this age before he appears again. That he's with us as we go and make disciples. So Jesus said at the beginning, it's okay, be at peace, I'm with you in your time to struggle. And he also said, though, make disciples. In other words, let's get moving. Let's get going. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, this is the same scenario, the same moment. They, the angels appeared. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way he was taken up, the way you saw him go. Basically, this angel was saying, let's get moving. Let's get going. Jesus is saying to, our, to my 12-year-old self, to our 12-year-old selves and our batter boxes, go and play baseball. Let me play in you and alongside of you for others to see. So this is how I read the Great Commission. I go to the core of my little self, 
which is projected as that 12-year-old boy that's afraid to hit baseballs. And he's saying to that 12-year-old self, I kind of imagine him just kind of putting his arm over me like this. And he's like, it's going to be all right. There's no pressure. Just go and play. Play for me. Let them see me in you. Go make disciples. That's all it's about, really. You see, the Great Commission can be seen mostly as, as you are going, make disciples. He's not saying to go right now after church, after this message, and after the worship, and after we leave, and fly over to China, or the Middle East, or somewhere in South America, and preach amongst bush people. (laughs) He's not saying that. I mean, if he is saying that, then go. (laughs) No disclaimer here. But he's just saying, as you were going, make disciples. As you're going about being a child of God, as you're going about being a daughter and a son of God, make disciples. You're free. As you're cooking in the kitchen, as you are cleaning the house today, if you do that, I might. As you're parenting, <laughs> or Alyssa, she'll, she'll probably do it with me. Or I'll do it for her, but we'll probably do it. As you're parenting your children, as you're on social media, <laughs> as you're going to work tomorrow, As you're driving to work and you're angry at what we love about Houston, the traffic. You know, I'll just say, people are, though, Houston are nice, though, with traffic. They'll let you in when you try to get over. It's a, they're good people, generally speaking. I don't know, maybe I'm just crazy with my car, but they kind of will. But as you're doing that, as you're playing video games on, on live, Xbox Live or whatever, make disciples. It can be done. We did it. In college, we used to share verses on, of Scripture. We were playing online video games, and we would get cussed at, but we did it. As we are being the church right now, make disciples of us. Because regardless of what we want to do, we're going to make disciples, right? People are going to catch ourselves. They're going to catch the things we don't want them to catch, and they're going to catch the things that we are trying to hide. And the things that we thought we wanted them to learn, they're not going to catch that. It's all the things that we don't want them to learn, right? So we're making disciples anyway. God just tells us to make them for him. Make them because we're created to be his children. And as we are going, as we are going, and making disciples. Because he's in us. Of Jesus. He says, peace be with you. And I am with you. So in that moment, if you see it coming this week, if it's happening right now, he's saying, peace be with you. 
Now go and show them what it means to be Jesus in you. In you. This was the message that he was tasked, that he wanted to bring the disciples that were afraid and that were hiding and that were completely thrown asunder by him dying, that he was alive. And that was a new beginning. And so I see it artfully said by the writer of Matthew, as Matthew who wrote Matthew, as he started chapter 28, the next chapter after Jesus was murdered and put in a grave. Verse 1 says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And the rest is history that, that changed the world forever. A new day. We are his children. Jesus has risen. And we are his disciples. So let us go and have peace. And let us go and make disciples, knowing that he's with us. Amen?